You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast Network has led the podcasting space for the pharmacy industry. This network of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians leads the podcasting charts with more than 2 million downloads, 40 different stations, and new episodes every week. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is the number one podcast for the pharmacy professional. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today. Hey, this is a shout out to all pharmacy owners out there, your champions of your community during this pandemic. Your pharmacy is more important than ever before. There's a product out there I'd like you to take a look at. I'm talking about the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. For the same copay for your patients as pen needles alone, the UltiGuard Safe Pack provides 100 premium pen needles and a sharps container all in one. When pharmacies dispense the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, they see consistently higher revenue and higher margins. Check this product out today and let us know what you think. Go to www.ultiguardsafepack forward slash podcast. That's ultiguardsafepack forward slash podcast. You can get a free sample pack on the website. Thanks for all you do as frontline healthcare providers. And thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Is there controversy in believing in spiritual health or spirituality as part of good mental health? You know, there was a study that's out on PubMed, and I'll put a link into the version that came through the ncbi.gov uh, site. And it's titled The Role of Spirituality in Healthcare, which we will be referencing in today's conversation with special guest Dr. Richard Harris, medical doctor and PharmD, and has his MBA. This guy is absolutely amazing. And he has a publication called Great Health and Wellness with Dr. Richard Harris. But back to this study, this documented study. There is a summary of this that says spirituality is recognized as a factor that contributes to the health of many people. The concept of spirituality is found in all cultures and societies. It is expressed in an individual search for ultimate meaning through participation in religion and or a belief in God, family, naturalism, rationalism, humanism, and the arts. All of these factors can influence how a patient and healthcare professionals perceive health and illness and how they interact with one another. On today's Transforming a Nation, we talk about the controversy of spirituality, believing in God, working together, respecting each other, and the insights of Dr. Richard Harris. You know, we talk about medicine, we talk about physical health, nutrition, uh, working out. We just had a podcast with Dr. Ashley Dwyer. She really concentrates on nutrition and, and fitness. And I, I think we 
it's time we kind of go to that other side of of what is health and and especially this time we listen to uh, dr bill frist who has a podcast called a second opinion podcast and he was talking about the stress and and the elevated anxiety because of this pandemic that we're going through so i'm concentrating on spiritual health today and the attitude that comes with uh, prayer and meditation and being more insightful to your attitude and to how you're feeling based on uh, temperament and uh, that stress that that's on us all and i have a very special guest today dr richard harris who is uh, an amazing YouTuber, and his uh, podcast is called Great Health and Wellness. And we just posted something earlier on um, on Twitter that featured uh, one of his podcasts about gratitude and what does gratitude do for us and our attitude and our way of looking at at your worldview and and where we're going in life as an individual, but more importantly, what are you doing for other people based on your attitude and your outward thoughts? My name is Todd Yuri. This is the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, and I'd like to welcome Dr. Richard Harris to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thank you for having me, Todd. It's a pleasure and it's an honor to be here. I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for allowing me to speak to your listeners today about something that's very near and dear to my heart and was the core of how I practice and how I look at medicine. It's refreshing to hear you say that, um, Richard, because there are there are lots of people that divide science and spirituality and God, and I think they're intertwined. I think they're one and the same. Um, and you don't have to get rid of spirituality and God in order to deliver science and in evidence-based medicine. I I think it's all in one, and your your whole vibe, as soon as I saw your YouTube channel and subscribed to it, I was like, you know, I got to reach out to, to Richard and, and see what he's doing. So give, a, uh, give the listeners some, some background on yourself. How'd you become a pharmacist? Yes, that's a really uh, intriguing story, actually. So let's start from the, from the very beginning. I grew up in a Christian household. My grandfather was actually a minister. And so I've been raised in the church all along, but as a kid, I was that kid who was reading books about whales and dolphins and sharks and anatomy. Everyone thought I was super weird because I wasn't reading like Hardy Boys and Goosebumps, but I had no interest in that. I was really interested in how the world worked, the physical properties of the world. And so in in high school, I had an interest in physics and biology. So I took both my senior year, anatomy and I took physics. And I fell in love with physics and I actually entered college as a physics major because I wanted to do biomedical physics. I wanted to make prosthetics and medical devices. My first year, I realized I love physics, hated math. I couldn't do the high level theoretical math. I was like, this makes no sense. There's no practical application to this. Let me switch into biology. And I thought I wanted to do research, did bench research for two years. It was so tedious, didn't like it. At that point, I was a junior about to graduate, and I just, you know, by the grace of God, worked in the dean of pharmacy's lab. And he told me, hey, I think you'd be a great pharmacist. Why don't you apply for pharmacy school? I had no idea what a pharmacist did, no clue about the profession of pharmacy. 
I just said, okay, what do I have to do? He's like, you have to take this test. I was like, okay. So I signed up for the test, took the PCAT, applied for pharmacy school, applied to one school, one, just UT. That was the only school I applied to. Got in and then realized I absolutely loved physiology. Love it. Of all the subjects out there, it is my favorite. And I'm so grateful I went to pharmacy school because pharmacists have such a strong background in physiology. And that is what anchored my practice was my background in physiology. So when, what year did you graduate pharmacy school? I graduated 08. So I did three years undergrad at UT and then uh, University of Texas. And then I did four years of pharmacy school. Uh, interesting trivia fact, I have two doctorates, a master's and no bachelor's. Uh, <laughs> Skip right over. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> We're like, what a smart, smart guy and just decided to save some money and not, not have the bachelor's degree. <laughs> oh, wow. So in, in the 12 years that you've been a, a pharmacist, what, what major changes have you seen in, in, in the practice of pharmacy? You know, I, I believe that a, a mind shift has happened in pharmacy to where when I was a pharmacist in 08, the main reason that I actually went to medical school was to prove to these doctors how capable pharmacists actually are. That was one of the primary drivers of why I went to medical school was to show them that's like, listen, we have all this knowledge. We have all this experience. We are a valuable resource. And nowadays you can see that in the interactions I have with other physicians, they love their clinical pharmacists. They love their pharmacists in the hospital. You know, the younger physicians like me look at pharmacists like they are a valuable resource to aid them in the best treatment for their patients. You know, you talk to ER physicians, their favorite person is the clinical pharmacist in the ER. That is their favorite person. They love their clinical pharmacist. And I love them too. I always tell people the clinical pharmacist is the smartest person in the hospital. You want to know the newest study, the newest drug, the newest literature, the newest research. They have it probably sitting on their desk right now. I've already read it, outlined it, and can tell you everything you need to know. So to me, that's been the most encouraging aspect of pharmacy is that now people are looking at pharmacists like they are a, a value center, a knowledge center, that they are a resource that can better the treatment of patients. And that's not just anecdotal. There's evidence that supports that too that collaborative agreements with pharmacists have better outcomes. Well, physiology and evidence-based medicine and studying and follow-up and continuing education, this all plays into uh, the health of your patients, the health of uh, our populations who are suffering from so many chronic diseases right now. And it's just mind-boggling. However, we sometimes don't place enough emphasis on the mental, behavioral health, and spirituality of us as, as human beings, you have been shielded from that in ways based on um, your upbringing. That's given another layer to your health by having uh, an inline um, conduit of support uh, to bring you to a spirituality with, with God. And there's a strong scientific evidence that does suggest that individuals who regularly participate in spiritual worship uh, services or related activities, meditation, who feel strongly that that spirituality 
in presence of a higher power is a strength and a comfort to them. They're healthier. They're able to process stress better. There's greater healing capabilities being shown. And I've read a PubMed article, which was published in 2000 by Dr. Brian Underman, a PhD ATC. Um, and he goes deep into the study of spirituality and the impact on health, as well as um, athletic capability, healing capability, um, dealing with um, other people in our lives, dealing with um, marriage issues. I mean, goodness gracious, I've been married now for um, for nine years, and I am a uh, I'm a semi-good husband based on my inconsistency and my um, sarcasm and things that I just fall into. But I, I know when it's time to pray with my wife and my kids, it's almost like I feel like there's something lifted off from my shoulders, not only in prayer, but right after prayer, there's that five to 15 minute period of time where I, I can even, I even feel like I can breathe better, but what do, you, what do you see missing in our cultures today, in our society today? And I, I know there's an aspect of spirituality missing, but why is it missing? Why, why was it seemingly so strong? I remember in the 70s and 80s, and it seemed like the 90s and the 2000s that just started to, to disintegrate. Yeah, that's, it, it is tragic, you know, because I've met so many believers now that I had no idea they were believers. No clue. And, you know, me, I was like that previously where I didn't talk about my faith. I didn't really share my faith. There were times where I felt like I was far from God. And I, I really think it's we, we think that God nowadays only intervenes in our life when we need him, when like something bad happens, right? And I think that's how a lot of people look at their faith now. Where nowadays it's, I'm asking when things are good, when things are bad, when before things happen, in the middle of things, after things happen, you know, I'm constantly talking with God. I'm constantly talking about my, my faith. But I think part of that is, is due to maturity. You know, there's, you talk to people in business and you say, you know, people don't have these soft skills nowadays. Well, I think a lot of that is, is we're not as mature coming into adulthood as we were before. A lot of these hard lessons that our parents taught us, people are afraid to do nowadays. You know, people try to give their kids everything instead of teaching their kids everything that they didn't learn, right? And so a lot of what I learned, I learned through the school of hard knocks. Yes, my parents were there for me. They loved me. They took care of me, but they let me learn hard lessons in a safe and controlled manner. And so that allowed me to, to mature and be comfortable with who I was. And now I'm in a place where I can openly talk about my faith, even in medicine. And I found that once I started doing that, it made a huge impact. There are so many people that are so grateful when I say, when I say you know what, I'm going to be praying for you. Even people who don't have faith. You know, no one's going to get mad at you for saying, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Like, oh, don't do that. I don't want your prayers. What are you doing? That's going to hurt me. Like, no, that's, that's never going to happen, right? In that situation, everybody's going to want as much help as they can possibly get. And so I, I think that we're too afraid of offending people and coming off like as the pushy type of Christian 
right? You know, like, like we think that if we talk about our faith, that we're the type of Christian who's got the Bible open and like throwing it in people's faces and, and, you know, that kind of imagery, but that's, that's not the case. You, you can be subtle in your faith and even something as simple as I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. God bless you. You know, these are the type of things that I do in my interactions every day now. And since I started doing that, it's amazing. I've had so many patients say to me in the hospital, I was sent here today by God because you were here. You were exactly what I needed. And that didn't happen before I was open with my faith. I always wondered why I still worked in the hospital sometimes because it's not exactly where I want to be. But I know that sometimes God places me there for the people that he puts in my path to interact with now. And so that's why I know that there's always a role for that in my career because there are people directly in my path that God has placed there in the hospital. You know, Richard, when I think of something that you have to do and that is counsel a patient, and if you're open in the morning and you say your prayers and you're setting yourself up for your day and you've opened yourself up as a conduit of God, of, of touching other people, and you give counsel, um, very scientific-based counsel, but through that scientific-based counsel, you're also open to them as a, as a Christian and as testimony. I think of Matthew 5, 13 through 16, which says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house or in your presence. And I think of physicians and pharmacists and nurse practitioners and people taking care of seniors. And if you're an open conduit in the light to those people, they're going to pick it up. They're going to feel that in your being and they're going to feel that in your nature. Even if you said, even like you said, Richard, even if they're not a believer themselves, it's something that comes out in you. I've been told when I, you know, grab somebody's hand and give them a handshake that I'm always warm. You know, I have a warmth in me and I don't take credit for that. I think that has to do with, with being a, uh, a believer in, in my faith. And, and I also say on my Facebook, for example, when people say, what religion are you? I say, I'm a struggling Christian because the last thing I am is perfect. I am less than perfect. I make mistakes every day. And I still swear and I get angry and, you know, I, I'm uh, jealous of, 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 of my own success. So I'm always trying to outdo myself and I'm, I'm hard on myself and it, it's uh, these ungodly things that keep me from being focused. But what do you think of that counseling ability of a pharmacist and also the ability to be a light? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, one of my good friends, uh, Dr. Adam Martin, is incredible at being this light to pharmacists, to his patients. And you can just see, like, be around him, just listen to him speak. He's one of those people that when you're in his presence, you just feel good. 
and you don't know why you feel good. You're just energized and you're ready to go and you're having great conversation. And he is so full of the spirit that it, it, it is like it just washes over those around him. And so you can literally be the light you want to see in this world. And pharmacists are a direct conduit to patients. They are the most accessible healthcare providers. And so you can make a big difference in those people's lives who come to you. And it can be something as simple as a smile. You know, one of the hardest things that's going on right now with, with COVID is that I truly believe that there is healing power in touch, right? And not being able to put hands on a patient without gloves, right? Without gowns. It's so hard. It, it changes the dynamic of the interaction. But I love the fact that pharmacists are out there on the front lines. I think they are uniquely qualified to really help patients in a coaching type of manner, in a, in a be a uh, hope dealer, as Adam calls them. Yeah. Patients, right? That pharmacist wears. Yeah, Adam is a fellow Pittsburgher. Um, he was on the Pharmacy Podcast Network for the launch of the Fit Pharmacist. And Adam, if you're listening, I want you back, buddy. You got to come back to the to the Pharmacy Podcast Network and, and help us reach others. But you're absolutely right, Richard. I think that the, the clinical pharmacist who places their education and their science um, forward and ready to help people, when you layer that um, as, a, as an add-on, to what's inside your heart uh, and the passion you have as a servant leader for people and helping people. Um, I think that's 10 times more powerful in, in being able to counsel patients and be ready um, to, you know, like you said, don't be pushy um, with, with your faith, but be ready with your faith um, there to share and letting them know, hey, I'm a human just like you. I went to school for, you know, eight, 10, 12 years to, to sharpen uh, the pencil that, that I've become for, for medicine and for pharmaceuticals and medication, but I'm also an instrument of, of God and, and, and still sharpening as we have to every day. So I agree with you. That's great. What do you feel your mission is at this point in your life? Because this publication that you're working on seems that it could be not only for our, our, sister and brothers in medicine and pharmacy and physicians, but it'd be really easy to turn that into a consumer driven channel as well. Yeah. So I have two main goals right now. Uh, number one is create informed health consumers because people are making decisions about their health from a place where they lack knowledge. And so how can you truly make a great decision for yourself or your family if you don't have enough knowledge about why I'm making this decision, why it's important, what other outcomes are out there. So I want people to create decisions for themselves, having that background knowledge so that they can make empowered decisions, right? They can choose the best option for themselves. You know, some people, the best options, naturopathic, some people, the best options, allopathic there, that's okay. Right. But you should know that you have an option for both and then choose which one works best for you. So that's the whole reason for my podcast. Why I do the speaking is I want people to know the naturopathic side of medicine, the lifestyle, the meditation, fasting, 
you know, it was really interesting. I did a, a podcast myself uh, called God's Prescription for Health, where I outlined all of these lifestyle behaviors and show that it was all in the Bible. Like literally all the healthy lifestyle behaviors for us were in the Bible from the very beginning. God told us to do these things. And then the second thing that I'm trying to do right now is there's only so many of us holistic providers. You know, we have to kind of go out on our own to learn all this material. And it took me a year to really figure out exactly how I wanted to practice in this area. Now, there are courses that you can take, you know, they're expensive, but they'll teach you everything. What I want is to create scalable efficiency inside holistic medicine. So we can drive down the cost. People have access to this type of naturopathic medicine at a price that's affordable. Because right now, a lot of people can't afford this type of medicine. And unfortunately, a lot of it's not covered by insurance. So there are a lot of companies out there, who, a lot of startups who are trying to bring this, this type of medicine, this type of lifestyle medicine, holistic medicine, even personalized medicine, personalized supplementation to people. And so I'm working with a couple of these to help fine tune the process because they're literally doing what I'm trying to do, but they can do it in a much more efficient manner in a much more cost effective manner. And if I can help companies do that, I'm all for it. So you and I, before we began the interview, I mentioned, you know, science and God and how I think that they're intertwined, but many of our scientists, physicians, pharmacists, people that are healthcare providers feel that they're should be separated or some, some don't believe. And, you know, I think there's a disadvantage to, to that because spirituality and, and that side is a part of our health. Um, and as I've referenced the PubMed paper, we know that, um, that that is in fact, you know, the case in, in the publication that I'll have in the show notes, but where do you think, and why do you think, where and why do you think, um, where does it, where does it clash? Where does science and God clash? Because um, in, in your opinion. Yeah, so it's a hard concept for most providers because we are taught to be so confident and feel like you have all the answers, right? That there is nothing that's unexplainable, right? But so much of faith is believing in things that are not seen. All right, so you have a fundamental disconnect in how we are taught to think as physicians and providers, pharmacists, and then how you think as, as a believer. But in my mind, I, I mean, this is something I actually struggle with as someone who's always been interested in science and as someone who is religious, I struggled with the, the finding the balance between the two for a long time. But then after a lot of soul searching, prayer, thought, I, I really came upon the whole intelligent design hypothesis, right? That the way I explain it to people is that if you look at like a Mozart or a Rembrandt or um, a Van Gogh, right? They, they, they may look different, but if you know art, you know, you can tell by some underlying themes, motifs, style, right? Same thing with famous architects. You can look at their buildings and be like, I know who did this building because it's a similar style. Well, all life is based upon the same building blocks. Every single creature out there is based upon the same building blocks. But it was designed in such a way that the system is self-sustaining and self-changing. That is pure genius. And that level of genius could only come from, in my opinion, a universal creator. 
someone who from the beginning outlined everything in such a way that the system could be self-sustaining. And that's how I came to terms and, and came to grips with the, uh, the scientist in me and the believer in me was that I started to see links between science and creation and the fact that all life is built upon a single platform and that coming from intelligent design from God. I believe we don't need to have all the answers too. And in the exploration of medicine itself, there are times where a physician, a pharmacist, somebody in research, clinical trials, they don't have the answer because it's, it's something that they haven't cracked open and or discovered uh, yet. And I think that when we look at you know, science and technology and advancement, especially what humans have done, I think we're absolutely amazing. And we can see through the industrial age how it's peaked and how it seems like we exponentially grow in technology every you know, five to 10 years, there's a, there's a jump in technology. And there's a digital health um, philosopher named John Nasta, who's been on the podcast many times, and I consider him my digital health godfather, for example, because um, he's just so insightful and he explains things in a way that I can understand and I'm not as saturated as he is in it. And I've discussed with him, not necessarily in a podcast, although many of our conversations are out there. If you just Google John Nasta pharmacy podcast, you'll definitely find some really interesting content, but I think our quest for being God-like is a major flaw in humanity. And I think it's going to do more harm to humanity than good when we begin to, to develop what we would consider the true consciousness of, of humans in the form of technology, which brings me to that that subject of artificial intelligence and not at the stage that we're at now because it's, it's not at that stage right now. It's allowing what is artificial intelligence to take data and build algorithms so that we don't have to feed it and that the, the algorithms building its own, you know, uh, processes to take other aspects of data and come out with something to help the financial industry or predictive modeling or, even clinical trials in order to advance medicine uh, through different stages. But I'm talking about that Terminator level artificial intelligence where you have a being that, uh, that actually starts thinking for itself. But where do you think, why do you think humans are, are obsessed with, with that godlike uh, facet? I think it comes from the fact that we have a hard time accepting our own flaws. And if we can find a way to make ourselves better or perfect, then some people think that it's their duty to do so. Whereas, you know, us as believers, we're, we're perfectly acceptable with our flaws because in our flaws, in our imperfectness is when God shows up and he can use our brokenness, us being imperfect to show his perfection and his power. And so I'm okay with being broken. I'm okay with being imperfect. I'm okay with trying to do better. But at the same time, we can't play God. We can't do and take over some of the things that are in his domain. 
you know, look at what happened with even food, like all the GMOs and artificial and processed foods. When we tried to improve and quote unquote improve and make better food, which is already made to provide for God, what happened? Rampant disease, rampant agricultural problems, environmental pollution. Us trying to do better than what God had already intended made things much, much worse. And I think the same thing is going to happen to a point with artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yes, where we are now is perfectly fine because that's a tool to make our lives easier, right? But it's it's going to get to a point where it's going to be at the place where it can replace an actual human being. And that's when things are going to get dangerous. And, you know, we talk about like the movies like Jurassic Park and Terminator, right, as being actually able to happen one day. And then we're like, why would you do this? There's, this is a bad idea. It's been shown to be a bad idea in all these movies. And we're going to live through that one day. Yep. Elon Musk was quoted saying, I am not normally an advocate of regulation and oversight. I think one should generally err on error on the side of minimizing those things. But this is a case where you have a very serious danger to the public. And he's speaking directly to uh, his crowd about artificial intelligence. So I think there's a balance between technology and, and the all-encompassing you know, power that, that humans are obsessed in wielding in weaponry and in viruses and you know, in things that are, are happening throughout uh, the world uh, based on power and greed and things that are unfortunately taking place. There's good that can come from that because I think God gave us the brain and the mind and the conscious and the desire to do some amazing things. And I think as long as it's in balance, um, that it's, it's great. But you know, Richard, that humans have, have always uh, slighted on the unbalanced side uh, through human history and, and uh, we'll probably continue to still make those mistakes. Yeah, and it's going to be the moment where we start relying more on machines than him. And that's when things are going to be really catastrophic. And at some point in time, that's, that's going to happen because that's just the nature of, of human beings, right? And, you know, we, we worshiped false idols before that were gold carved statues. You know, if you have a, an all-knowing, all-seeing robot that's able to predict the future with 99.9% .9 accuracy, people are going to begin to worship that. And that is when we're going to be in line for massively catastrophic events. I agree. Well, just to let you know, you might not realize this, that this podcast is the very first episode of 1,050 that we've done in 11 years that we've really focused on spirituality at this level. So I really appreciate you being a part of this. Um, I'd like to have you back. I'd like to have you become uh, a regular uh, member, uh, someone who is giving us some insight from that spiritual side in balancing medicine and spirituality and fitness and health. And like I said, maybe we can get Adam to come back and the, the three of us and someday six of us and someday 12 and 120 and a thousand of us could, um, you know, talk about the balance of, of science, medicine, God, spirituality, but Richard, I really appreciate you, you being on today. 
Oh, thank you for having me, Todd. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about something that's very near and dear to me. And it's a conversation that needs to be had. If you're a provider out there, if you're a pharmacist, MP, PA, physician, do not be afraid to talk about your faith. The data shows that most patients want us to engage them at the level of their faith. So don't be afraid. There is healing in it. It is part of our job is what we signed up to do. Yeah, I uh, very much appreciate you. Um, I am excited that uh, I got to share this on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Dr. Richard Harris, PharmD. Um, I'll have show notes uh, that will have uh, a way to reach out to Richard and looking at his, uh, his materials, his content, his YouTube uh, channel. Um, but Richard, thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. Y'all have a blessed day.